Bible prophecy is often misunderstood and misapplied, which leaves many people confused or fearful. But when the Bible is studied in its proper context, prophecy becomes clear and understandable. There is no one we can trust more than Jesus, and His words will speak specifically to us as we study them in their simplicity. Welcome to Jesus on Prophecy. Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you all here today. I'm a little amped up, a little louder than usual. Is that normal? All right. Yeah, I don't want to blast anyone's eardrums by the end of tonight. (laughs) But uh, here we are again for another night of Jesus on Prophecy. Are you guys excited this evening? I'm excited as well. And tonight our message is entitled, Prophecies in Time Lamb. And so we're going to take a look at this message. And uh, before we get into this, I'd like to just uh, solicit your prayer. So let's just pause for a moment and ask the Lord to guide our time together in His Word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for bringing us here this evening to another night of Jesus on Prophecy. Lord, we pray that You will please give us Your Spirit that will give us understanding, the Spirit of truth that will guide us into all truth. And so, Lord, please... Bless our time together as we study your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. When we consider all the prophecies in the book of Revelation, many people think of the beasts, they think of the dragon, the mark of the beast, and similar things. And many people become fearful about the future. And they have a tendency to want to shy away from Scripture. And the things that are mentioned that are certainly important for us in helping us to understand what is coming, but it's not there for us, and God did not allow prophecy to be there to drum up fear in us. Uh, Nothing that God shares with us should be fearful when His love is in our hearts. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all what? Fear. That's right. So Revelation reveals God's last day message. It reveals beasts and symbols that unlocks the events in our day. But it opens much more than that. Prophecy reveals the truth that God has already been triumphant and He'll be triumphant in the end. Can you say amen to that? Amen. It reminds us that He will have the last word and Jesus has already gained the victory for us through His life and resurrection. So then the question is, what are the last days for then? They are to reveal that God is truly good in this great controversy that's taking place between Christ and Satan, between good and evil. They are to reveal that His power to save is more than just forgiveness of sin in our lives, but it is that we can be victorious over sin in our lives as well. And so God sends a message to prepare his people for major worldwide events which affect their eternal destiny. And there's a biblical pattern that we cannot afford to miss here. God's message of warning is always sent before his judgments. Did you hear what I said? God's message of warning is always sent before he passes judgments. His warnings are always a message of love and opportunity to turn to him for anyone who is willing to listen. So a loving God invites men and women today to be saved before the coming calamity. And we see that his desire for all of us is to be saved. 
And in Noah's day, God sent a message to prepare men and women for the coming destruction of the world by water, the flood. He longed for people to be saved, not to be destroyed by the flood. And God loved humanity so much that he allowed Noah to preach how long? 120 years. 120 years of mercy. 120 years of grace. 120 years of loving appeals. A message of mercy and warning always precedes a major biblical event. And we see 120 years of mercy was extended to the inhabitants of Noah's day. But how did they respond to that message of warning? They rejected it, didn't they? And after that message of mercy was rejected, what came? The flood. And we see also in the New Testament, God sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus And it would be surprising then if God did not have a message of mercy to prepare the world for the second coming. If if, if God, it would not be surprising then if God also would have a message of warning for his second coming. Would that make sense or no? So, all throughout history, God has sent a message to prepare his people for great world-shaking events that are to come. And all through the Bible... We find these same patterns in the Bible's last book, the book of Revelation. God has given us a message that is as significant for us to understand in our day as it was in Noah's day, as it was in Joseph's day, as it was in John the Baptist's day, in their day, just as those messages were important for their time. We, in our time, have a message that is just as, if not more, important. And what is God's end-time message for us in the time that we're living in? There's an urgent end-time message in the book of Revelation which has eternal significance for everyone in the world tonight. And this message is vital for us as John the Baptist's message was for people looking forward to the first coming of Christ. It is found in the heart of the book of Revelation chapter 14. And I'd like to invite you to turn there with me to Revelation chapter 14. And let's read this end time message directly from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14 verse 6. And I apologize that I did not write the page number on this one. Uh, But if someone can call out that page number uh, for us, that'd be great. 1183, thank you. 1183 is where this message is found. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 is what we're reading. And for those of you that have not been here before, what we do is we take turns. You're all seated at a table, and each table has a number, and we're going to take turns to have an individual from each table to read a verse as we go around. So we want to have participation here. And we also want to know that the answers that you're getting to these questions are not from me, the speaker, but it's from the Bible. Amen? Amen. So we want to see what the Bible has to say, and so we want to allow the Bible to answer these questions. And so we're going to look at uh, question, uh, well, the verse, verse, Revelation 14, verse 6 first. And it says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So let's pause right there. We see that God's last day message is pictured as carried by what? Who? Angels. 
Angels, that's right, angels are carrying this last day message. And, and friends, do you think that this is literal? Do you think that one day we're going to see angels flying across the air and, and, and declaring these messages and we'll be like, what was that? Do you think that's how it's going to be? No, friends, because whenever we look at the book of Revelation, Revelation uh, is, is enshrouded in symbols, in symbolism. Right? So an angel in the Bible doesn't necessarily, in Revelation, prophetic Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, it doesn't necessarily always denote a celestial being. Okay? Because the word angel in the original Greek language is the same word that we get for messenger. Okay? What word is that? Messenger. Okay, so in other words, these are not literal angels flying in the air. Revelation employs symbols, and it actually means that these angels are actually messengers. And these messengers are giving an urgent message. And we see that they carry this message rapidly, it goes swiftly, and it goes to the ends of the earth. It is a worldwide message. It's a universal message. And it's a message to go to every kindred, nation, tongue, and people. This message from Revelation is vital for us to understand in preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ. There is no more important message for us today than this message. Because this message is what leads us to our first question. It says, What event... Does this message prepare all humanity for? And so to find the answer, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 through 16. So if we could have table number one, someone from table number one could read that for us. But the rest of us, let's follow along. And anyone can give the answer after table number one has read it, okay? So Revelation chapter 14, 14 through 16, the question is, what event does this message prepare all humanity for? Revelation 14, 14 through 16. Do we have someone from table number one that can read that for us? 14 through 16, right? Yes, please. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud stood one like, like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him, who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud, thrust in his sickle, Very good. Thank you so much for reading that. I like how he stood up as you read to project for all of us. (laughs) Very nice. So what event does this message prepare the world for? What event is this verse referring to? The harvest. That's right. The harvest. Right? And it describes the Son of Man coming down from the heaven with a what? Sickle to harvest the grain. Right? And that's a tool that farmers use to harvest the grain. And so, what, question number two is, what is the meaning of Revelation's symbol of the harvest? And we're going to go to Matthew 13, 39. And we're going to read that once we get there. And uh, Matthew 13, 39. Uh, something's wrong with my slides because I had the page numbers on here. But uh, I think I got a different version of my presentation tonight. So, uh, if we can... Have someone call out the number 
the page number for us when you get there. Matthew 13, 39. What is the meaning of Revelation's symbol of the harvest? What does the harvest represent? Okay, and let's, go, let's take a look at Matthew 13, verse 39. 948. Thank you. Nine, page 948 in your Bibles is Matthew 13, 39. And I believe Patricia is up to read Matthew 13, 39. Are you ready, Patricia? What verse? Uh, 39. Matthew chapter 13, verse 39. Okay, so based on that text, what is the harvest? What is the meaning of Revelation's symbol of the harvest? The harvest represents the end of the earth. Yes or no? Does the Bible clearly tell us what the harvest is? It represents the end of the earth, right? And the reapers are who? The angels that come with Jesus. They come and gather the elect from all the four corners of the earth, right? And so we see that Revelation describes the second coming of Christ with a symbolism of Jesus coming to reap earth's final harvest. And the message of the three angels prepares men and women living in earth's last hour for the glorious, spectacular return of our Lord. A new day will dawn, Christ will return, and the heavens will be illuminated with the glory of God. And the reign of sin will come to an end, and Christ will come to take His people home. Amen? Amen? But before He returns, before He returns, what must He do? What must Christ do, based on what we talked about earlier? Before God does anything big, before any event transpires, what does God have to do first? He has to warn. That's right. He has to issue a message of warning. Before He returns, He must send a message, a vital message to prepare His people for His coming, to prepare His people to go home. How many of you guys want to go home tonight? You want to go home and be with heaven with the Lord today? I wish today was a day. Amen? But until then, everyone must know what this warning message is. And question number three. It says, what does the first angel have in Revelation chapter 14? We're, still, we're going back to Revelation 14 now. And notice that there is how many angels in Revelation 14? There's three. One, two, three angels that are flying, right? So we're going to take a look. Each of these angels have a particular message that is significant. And we're going to explore that tonight. What are these messages, and what significance do these messages hold for us living in the last days? Okay, so, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Uh, what does the first angel have in Revelation 14? So, notice, the question is not, what does he say? The question is, what does he have? Are you following? So, we're going we're to see what he has first, and then we're going to see what he has to say. Fair enough? Okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Full speed ahead. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's read the text first and then give the answer. Okay, Revelation 14, verse 6. Uh, we're on table number 5, right there. Uh, one of the two, Yunju or Scott. Uh, can we read Revelation 14, verse 6? Okay. 
Okay, pause right there. Thank you. Pause right there. All right, so what does this angel have? He has the everlasting gospel. Yes or no? Yes. And we see that Revelation's message is a message of the gospel. And the good news that through Jesus our sins can be forgiven, our guilt can be gone, our condemnation can be over, the accusing voices can be silenced. The gospel is also the good news that the grip of sin in our lives can be broken. The chains which bind us can be severed. The prisons which enslave us will be unlocked. Through Jesus we can be set free. And the Apostle Paul describes the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So encapsulated in the everlasting gospel is simply this. Number one, Jesus Christ died for our sins. And we see also that He was buried when He died, but He also rose again the third day according to Scriptures. Amen? Death could not hold him. And we see that the everlasting gospel also proves point number two. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. Christ's perfect record puts in place, uh, he puts his perfect life record in place of our sinful record for anyone who accepts him. Right? So he was perfect. We are imperfect. Through His perfect righteousness, we stand before God's throne complete in Him. Jesus took what we deserve. What do we deserve? Death. The wages of sin is death, right? And so that we can have what He deserves. Whosoever believeth Him shall have what? Everlasting life or eternal life. Right? So it's the, per, it's, a, it's, the, it's the great exchange that Christ lived a perfect life, but He credits us with His perfect life. Isn't that wonderful? That is good news indeed, isn't it? And we see that the everlasting gospel has point number three, that Christ rose from the dead. Right? So death could not hold Him. He has the keys of hell and death, and He overcame death. And death has no power over Him. And also, death has no power over those who trust and believe in Him. Amen? Point number four, the everlasting gospel talks about Christ who ascended to the Father. And what's significant about that? Why is it important that we know that Christ ascended up into heaven? Because we talked about this earlier, remember? Jesus came to this earth to be a sacrificial lamb, right? And when he died on the cross, did he accomplish his mission? Yes. But was that it? No, because he had to also play the second phase of administering our salvation, which is to be our high priest in heaven, right? So Jesus went up to heaven to be our high priest, to now take His blood and present it to the Father for our salvation, right? So Jesus ascended to the Father 2,000 years ago and is before the throne of God at this very moment. He knows your name, friends. He understands your needs. He longs to hear your prayers. And as you pray to Him, your prayers are answered 
because it's mingled by Christ's righteousness and also His intercession for your behalf in the heavenly sanctuary. So His greatest desire is to save you in His kingdom. And so John chapter 11, verse 25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He is a resurrection and the life. Though Jesus died, he is alive today. Can you say amen? amen? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, an eternal death. Why didn't Jesus remain in the grave, though he had every sin of every person in every time in history upon him? Friends, it is because the righteousness and pure life that he possesses are greater than the sin you and I have. This is incredible because Jesus has the power to raise you to spiritual life. The same righteousness that was in him will be in you when you receive him by faith. What is faith? It is simply the belief that God will do what He said He will do. That's what faith simply is. Believing that God will do what He says He will do. And friends, I want to encourage you to get your Bible sometime and start reading the Bible in this way. Start reading all the promises and claim each and every one of those promises by faith. And let me tell you, when you read the Bible that way, it becomes very exciting to see how many promises you can claim from God and that God will give it to you because He cannot lie when He promises something. Amen? He is good on His promise. You can be short of that. And we see that in His power, He is able to bring the deadness of our life of sin to new life. If Jesus was resurrected from the dead... He is more than human. He is divine. And if Jesus was resurrected from the dead, He has the power over the grave. And if Jesus is really divine, His offer of eternal life is real. And if Jesus is really divine, He can also change our lives. And you know what? Power changes our lives. It is the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. That resurrection power can transform us, friends. And we see that this gospel will be preached into the entire world before Jesus comes. Every individual will have the opportunity to respond to the claims of God's love. However, it begins with you tonight. What choice will you make? And that leads to question number four. Question number four says, What is the message of the first angel? And what does it call us to do? Okay, so we're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 7. Revelation 14, verse 7. And we are now at table number 7. And we're going to have someone from table number 7 read Revelation 14, verse 7. And this is continuing the uh, first angel's message. Uh, it's an appeal to the entire world to accept the everlasting gospel, but it's also an uh, urgent call to do three things. And we're going to discover what those three things are. But Revelation 14, verse 7. Do we have someone from table 7 that could read that for us? Sing, love, voice, 
Okay, thank you, Curtis, for reading that for us. So we see that what is this message calling us to do? There are three action words in this verse that is calling us to do. Three imperatives that this verse is telling us to do. Let's focus on the first one. What's the first imperative that it tells us to do? It says, fear God. That's right. Fear God. So what does it mean to fear God? Okay, does it mean that we are, are terrified of God? We are trembling and quaking in our, in our boots and we're just like fearful of God and, and uh, we're, we're just like, uh, like, you know, dreading to see what he'll do next? Uh, what does it mean to fear God? We're going to allow the Bible to answer the question as well. Page 647 uh, is Ecclesiastes 12, 13. So page 647 Ecclesiastes 12, 13, what does it mean to fear God? And we're going to take a look at Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, page 647, and table number 8. If we have someone there, read that for us. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, page 647. Ah, so we see, what does it tell us? How do we fear God, according to this verse? Fear God and keep His commandments, right? So very clearly, to fear God means to keep His commandments. It says it's our duty as men to do that. It says, my son, in Proverbs 3.1, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. So in other words, friends, to fear God means to, it's not a fear where we're quaking in our boots and we're like, oh, you know, you're trembling. But the fear of God means to respect, revere God by obeying Him. First of all, it's a call to obedience. And obedience is a neglected truth in some Christian circles today. Too many Christians emphasize free grace without paying attention to the importance of God's law. And in an age of waning morality, God is calling us back to obedience to His law. He's calling us to keep His commandments. And Revelation 14 describes God's end-time people this way. And by the way, I don't know about you, but I want to be among God's end-time people. What do you say? So who are God's end-time people? And what are, the, what are they described as? Revelation 14, verse 12, page 1184. Revelation 14, verse 12, page 1184. How does Revelation describe God's end-time people? And we're going to have table number 9. Read this text for us when we get there. Page 1184, Revelation 14, 12. If you're there, say amen, everyone. Amen. amen. Table number 9. Can we read that, please? Ah, so we see that the end time people, they're referred to as saints, and they do what? They keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Both of those go hand in hand, by the way. The only way that's possible for us to keep God's commandments is through the faith of Jesus. We see Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Friends, our bodies are not fun houses. They are temples of the living God. When Jesus lives within, He will live His life through ours. It becomes very difficult for us to abuse our bodies with bad choices when we know that Jesus is dwelling in us. And so we have discovered what we are supposed to be doing. As Christians, we have accepted the gospel and are saved by grace, appeals to us to lovingly obey Him and give Him glory in the way we live. That's what it means to fear or respect Him. And also, He also appeals to us to give Him glory and honor in every aspect of our lives. So the first angel's message so far, what we've learned so far, is that Number one is calling us to fear God. That means to essentially obey Him, right? And number two, to glorify God in all that we do. Our lives should be a living testament that we have the indwelling Christ in us. Therefore, we have a new creature and new life experience. And so, question number seven. Who is this message calling us to worship? Okay, so we're still in Revelation 14, verse 7. Right? And we're going to focus on the latter part of this verse. And it says, And worship who? Him. Who's Him? God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. So it is a call to worship who? The Creator. That's right. The Creator of heaven and earth. And this is an urgent message in the last days of Earth's history, calling us back to worship the Creator. We're living in a time, in an age of evolution, where millions have dismissed the idea of a Creator God. And Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, appeals us to worship Him who made heaven and earth. And we see that from the minutest atom to the grandiest galaxy of all nature calls us to worship our loving Creator. The universe is so vast, so advanced, that it's very difficult to imagine not having a creator. Every day, new discoveries are being made in nature, in outer space, that reveal that it, cannot, it can be anything but a creator God, a divine creator that's behind it all. Life is not by chance. Scientists cannot even explain how a seed grows. Now we believe in science, but true science points us to the Creator that has designed all we know. The reason creation is so broken down is that sin has impacted our world for thousands of years. And yet, there's still beauty that can be found in it. Amen? In God's nature that testify of God's power as Creator. When we look at creation, we can have a sense of power that was involved in making the universe for and our world. You know, sometimes I feel stressed. I feel the pressures of life. And lately, you know how I deal with that stress? <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> Sleep is good too, but, but I, I, I go to the park. Uh, County Farm Park. Have you guys been there? They have beautiful trails there. I go there in the morning, I just walk through the trails, and I feel oh, at peace. I, feel, I see the nature around me. 
that I feel like, oh, God is there. You know, in, in that nature, I, I feel like I'm communing with Him. And, and that's what nature does. Nature reminds us of God's creative power. And it's the same creative, creative power that can be at work in our lives as well for salvation. Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. Let's take a look here. Page 1177. Uh, this is from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. These heavenly beings are worshiping God. And what are they saying about God? Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. Uh, I'm sorry. Revelation 4, verse 11. I'm sorry. Revelation 4, verse 11, page 1177. 1177. And if we could have uh, table number 11. Uh, someone from table number 11. Uh, read this for us. Revelation 14, 11. Ah, very good. So what does it say? That why is God worthy to receive worship? He created all things, right? And so that's reason enough to worship God. He is our creator. The very basis of worship is the fact that God created us. God created you. God created I. And we see that when God created the first man from the dust of the earth, He formed us, He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And God alone creates and gives life. And that is why the book of Revelation in the last days calls us to worship Him who made heaven and the earth. We see that the final conflict between good and evil focuses on the issue of worship and specifically who we worship, the Creator or the beast. And it calls us back to accepting God's sign of loyalty rather than the beast's mark. And we're going to explore that later at a later time of what that all entails But we see that the issue is worship. Who do you worship? That's going to be a primary uh, dividing line for those who worship God or someone other than God. The Creator versus the creation. It can only be one or the other. And so we see that the first angel's message calls us to worship God as the Creator. Right? Revelation's message is telling us that as many generations passed, they have forgotten God as the Creator. We assume that life came in a vacuum and that the very breaths we take are are of our own devising. But the Bible calls us to recognize Him as the source of life and that is to be recognized by how we live our lives. And so the first angel's message, in summary, so far what we have discovered through the Bible tonight is number one, we see the first angel's message answers these two big questions that we as Christians are supposed to be doing. Number one, we are supposed to be obeying and giving Him glory in our lifestyles. And why are we supposed to do it? Because He is our Creator. He made us and He is worthy of our allegiance. So the first angel's message encapsulates that. And so, number eight, why is this message so vitally important? Let's discover why this message is so critically important. Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, it says, Fear God and give glory to Him for the what? 
hour of His judgment has come. Right? So notice, this is the hour of His judgment has come. It doesn't say that the hour of judgment will come, but what does it say? Is come. Right? Present tense. And so could it be, friends, that we're living in the judgment hour? Could it be that the destinies of all humanity are soon to be settled by the choices that we are now making? Before the coming of Jesus, heaven's final judgment will determine who will receive reward when He comes. We will be studying that soon. But we see that Revelation is a book about eternal choices. We all have the power of choice. We studied that earlier, right? God has endowed all His created beings the power of choice. And Revelation is is, uh, appealing to us to make a choice that will benefit us eternally. And we see in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, page 1190 is where we're going. Page 1190 in your Bibles, Revelation 22, 12, and we can have table number 12. Someone to read that for us, please. Revelation 22, 12, page 1190. Okay, thank you, Jim. So it says that Jesus is coming how? Quickly, right? And what is he coming with? His reward. That's right. He's coming to give a reward to who? To everyone according to his work. That's right. right. So if Jesus is coming to give us rewards, what does that mean? If this finally happens, where Jesus comes to divvy out the rewards to every person on earth, what would that tell us? What was that? He has made a decision through what? Judgment. That's right. In other words, in order for Jesus to determine what rewards each person will receive, there must have been a judgment that has transpired, yes or no? Wouldn't that make sense? So Jesus knows what reward to give to each person when He comes. And God is calling us to make a decision. No one on earth can be on the fence. The devil owns the fence. (laughs) So when you're sitting on the fence, the devil likes that. But we must make our decided choice to serve God and not waver. Amen? And we see in Revelation chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your what? Judgments. God never makes a mistake when He judges. We see that earthly courts may make mistakes. Earthly judges may make mistakes. Earthly juries may make mistakes. But God Himself never makes a mistake. His judgments are true and righteous. Revelation reveals that every human being alive, when Jesus comes, is already made their final choice, their final decision for or against Christ. And we see in Revelation chapter 22, verse 11, it tells us this is, uh, this is the final verdict 
final declaration where it says that he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. When this is announced, that means that every case for every individual on planet earth has been decided. The verdict has been declared. And friends, I pray that we make the right choice tonight. Friends, why be afraid of the judgment when Jesus can represent you? Why be afraid when He has made that provision for you? The Christ of prophecy is, reveal, is, is appealing to you tonight. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be in His kingdom forever. He can't bear the thought of any one of us being lost. More than anything else, He desires to be with you forever. So He has done what? He has sent this urgent end time message found in what we're studying tonight, Revelation chapter 14. And so we see that the three angels' messages, it can be no mistake about the importance of these messages. God is sending these messages to us to let us know, number one, a call to accept the everlasting gospel. Number two, a call to loving obedience. Number three, a call to give glory to God in all our lives. Number four, a call to worship the Creator. Number five, an urgent call to live godly lives in the light of earth's final judgment. God's final appeal is an appeal for loyalty. It's an appeal for commitment. It's an appeal for obedience. Question number nine. What is the second angel's message? Now let's see. We saw the first angel's message. Now we're moving along. We're progressing to the second angel's message. And that's found in Revelation 14, verse 8. Page 1184. And so we're going to turn there now, 1184, Revelation 14, 8. And what table did we leave off with is 12, now 13. Table 13 can read this for us. Revelation 14, verse 8. Oh, okay, so we see that... The second angel's message is a message warning against what? Babylon. Okay, Babylon is this warning message that we must be aware of Babylon because it has fallen, that great city. And why is, this, is Babylon in this fallen state? We're going to talk about Babylon later. But let's just focus on the second angel's message for what it's saying. It's saying that Babylon has fallen. What has caused her? Babylon's fall. Because she did what? She made all nations do what? Drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And what does that wine represent? Well, in the Bible, false doctrines is what it represents. Wine. That intoxicating wine is... Similarly, 
symbolized as false doctrines that make everyone in the world drunk under this influence. They're drunk. They're in in an inebriated state. They cannot discern what's right and wrong. They're just completely accepting what Babylon is offering them. And these false doctrines would come into the church through this false religious system called Babylon. And God, in this time, in these last days, is calling His people today to come back to His Word, the Bible, as a sure foundation for the Christian faith. And we see that when we, when we uplift truth of God's Word, we see that truth is revealed and then error is exposed. The reason why Babylon falls, the reason why this system of error topples down is a result of the truth being lifted up. When the truth is lifted up in its clarity and in its light and in its brilliance, it's going to make all systems of error topple to the ground. And we see that in the book of Revelation, Babylon represents spiritual confusion. Just as God confused the languages in the Tower of Babel, at the end time, man-made teachings based on tradition will bring about confusion in the Christian church. And the message of the second angel in Revelation 14 announces that all man-made systems will not stand in the final crisis. And here's what God's Word says. And why we need to cherish the truth as it is in Jesus. Here's why. For John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your what? Truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is a means which can sanctify us if we take heed to what the word of God tells us to do. The message of Revelation 14 leads God's people back to His truth at the end time. God is leading each of us back to His Word today. And praise the Lord that you're here at the seminar because we are trying to find it from God's Word. Amen? Amen. The central issue regarding the mark of the beast is worship. And so, question number 10. What is the third angel's message? Now, we saw the first angel message. We saw the second angel's message. Moving on to the third angel's message. Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, page 1184. What is the third angel's message? And I believe we're on table number 13, is that right? No, 14. 14. Do we have a table 14? We do? Okay. Table number 14, page 1184, Revelation 14, 9. What is the third angel's message? And if we could have someone read that for us. Revelation 14, verse 9. Page 1184. Yes, please keep going. Ah, so we see here that the angel, the third angel's message is a warning against what? Just, just sum it to the, the, the point. What is the main point that the third angel's message is saying? It's a warning against receiving what? 
the mark of the beast. It's a warning against receiving the mark of the beast. It is one of the most serious warnings in the entire Bible. The messages of Revelation 14 and these three angels' messages conclude with a description of the whole universe of those who are faithful at the end time. And we see in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, the very tail end of the third angel's message, it says this. It describes God's people in the last days, those who will not receive the mark of the beast. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So we see Revelation 14, verse 7, first angel's message, calls us to worship the Creator. Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, the second angel's message, tells us, don't worship the beast. Third angel's message, Revelation 14, 12, says, keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so we see right down the line, the whole issue is worship. God will have a people who will worship Him as His Creator and Lord by keeping all His commandments. And God's last day message warns us against the devil's deceptions in the last days. And the message of Revelation chapter 14, friends, it is appeal by God to completely surrender to God and to commit our lives to following His truth. What is God's end time? What is God's desire for His end time people? It is a heart loyal to Him. It's willing obedience. Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you have said, Lord, I give all my life to you. All that I have and all that I am is yours. Kevin was a handsome man who had lived a wonderful life. He had a good job, nice house, beautiful daughters, and a wife of many years. One day, all this changed. As he came home to discover a note on the table that said that his wife had left, had taken their bank account, his daughters, and Kevin was devastated. Out of desperation, he tried to take his life with a shotgun. And amazingly, he survived that attempt. He began to consider what was the purpose for his life. Now that he has lost everything, and amazingly, he somehow got this offer for Bible studies somewhere, whether it's in the mail or someone offered this to him. And he began these Bible studies. He began reading the Bible. And as he started to read the Bible, he learned the depth of God's love. And as he read the Bible, he had forgiveness and hope swelling up in his heart. 
His life was forever changed as he considered what a sacrifice Jesus had made for him. And today, he lives his life telling others what God has done for him. And he wants you to know that there is hope no matter what your situation is. Friends, maybe tonight you are at your end like Kevin was. But friends, Jesus has a new beginning for you. You realize, based on our study tonight, that we are living in earth's final moments. But your life isn't surrounded to Christ and His truth. But tonight, you can leave here with the assurance that Kevin also experienced as well. On a cross called Calvary, and on a hill called Golgotha, Jesus said, Father, take it all. Take every drop of my blood. And Jesus, who gave all, invites us to give our all to Him. The Christ who hung on the cross, He invites us to die on the cross with Him. What does it mean to die on the cross? What Christ is offering us is that to die to all our selfish desires and ambitions, to die to all our pride, to die to all our lust, to die to all our habits, to give Him our all, totally, completely, without holding back. And brothers and sisters, will you do it? Will you do that tonight? Will you give Him your all? Our eternal destinies have already been decided by the death of Christ on the cross. There's no reason for any of us to be lost. The choice is ours. And tonight I want to make an appeal. I want to make an appeal for people here tonight. If you'd like to say, Lord, you gave everything for me, I gladly give my all to you. And if that is a decision that you will courageously make, I'd like to ask you at this time to stand. Say, Lord, I give you everything. All that I am, I gladly give to you for what you have given for me. Praise the Lord. Let us seal our decision with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us a message of warning, but is a message of mercy as well. You're calling us back to you. You're calling all of us back home. And tonight, Lord, we gladly accept that invitation. Galatians 2.20 says, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Lord, we want to surrender ourselves to You. We want to die to all those things that are contrary to Your character. And we want to be made new. Please, 
dwell in our hearts. Touch each and every person here tonight. Help them experience the love of Jesus unlike ever before. Forgive us for our sins, Lord, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We claim the blood of Calvary on our behalf. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.